What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Winding down here as the season goes on. One of the last home series of the year up against the Cincinnati Reds. Mets took the final game of the series, lost the first two, though. So it wasn't necessarily the easiest series, but, you know, we still got to talk about it, as we always do. Till the end of the season, we're going to be talking to you guys after every single series. So make sure you are following us on all our social media, at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you enjoy what you're listening to and you want to watch us. That's where you can do it. And if you are listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. James, weirdly, in Ohio for an episode when we're playing a team from Ohio. How's your weekend been? Yeah, really funny coincidence, but nice that I got to like be out and about in Ohio this weekend, actually be able to catch the Mets games like at bars on local televisions. But great wedding. Uh, a great weekend. My good friend Ross was here for his wedding. That's, as I tell you guys a lot, David and Will Bednar's cousin was hanging out with the Bednar's at the wedding. Not Dave, <laughs> but the rest of the fam. They were, they loved taking shots at me because they were like, Where, where's your buddy that works in baseball media? Like, what's, what's he got to say? <laughs> but that's just like super knowledgeable baseball family. Just also great to hang out with like old friends from college. Wonderful wedding in general. First wedding I've ever been to in my life that wasn't thrown by Italians. And I have to say, really simple, really nice, really easy. No theatrics. <laughs> Like the glass no drama, here. no drama, very little drama, Still hint of drama, no drama. Still a wedding, still a wedding, still a wedding. Yeah, amazing speeches. Shout out Ross's best man Ty, also a member of our fantasy baseball league. He was he did a great speech. Just really, really wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah, love, of course, love, love wins. Yeah, I mean weddings are fun. It's we're we're at an interesting age. I'm sure some people listening have gone through it, or some of you are going to be going through it soon. You're a little bit younger, but when your friends start getting married, going to their weddings, always a fun time. I've one of my friends from college got married during COVID, like in October that year, went to his wedding in North Carolina, absolute blast, especially because North Carolina had like no rules. So it was like, oh my God, I get to be outside and be around people like just in, in open space. It was, it was a blast. And I'm excited for the, the uh, next couple that will be coming up as well. Yeah, it was funny. My buddy Ross and his wife, Erica, they are sports addicts. They love sports. They love gambling. They love doing absolutely everything. And one one thing that's like my favorite thing about them is they bought a house last year and before they got any furniture before they did any home renovations they mounted three televisions on the walls <laughs> so they could watch as many games as they wanted and like so many people who gave their speeches the pastor who married them mentioned the fact that like sports watching is something that cowboys touchdown damn it that brought them <laughs> together sorry guys watching the jets game too it's a week it's a hot season now football baby but it was just yeah just cool cool to be around like Nice people, people I've known for a long time, reconnect with some old friends. Wonderful weekend. Weddings are always a wonderful, amazing time. Yeah, no, super fun time. Bringing it back to the baseball here. Game one, we had Roberto Clemente Day, so players were able to rock number 21 uh, without the name on the back of their jersey in honor of Roberto Clemente. Lindor, of course, has been a Clemente Award nominee. He was wearing number 21. Uh, Edwin Diaz was in the ballpark that night. He was wearing number 21 as well, obviously not playing yet. Uh, really cool event. I, I feel like it's going to eventually turn into a Jackie Robinson thing where they retire Roberto Clemente's number throughout the league because he's just another one of those guys who was bigger than baseball, obviously one of the better players that we have seen play the game as well as just an incredible humanitarian. Yeah, and I think he kind of gets a little bit lost in baseball lore because he was on some Pirates teams that were good, but it was like not really at the time when the Pirates were at the peak of their powers, which happened, I think, a little bit after. He tragically passed away, right? Because the Pirates had those great teams, late 60s, early 70s, and Clemente, wait, right? Double check me on that one. Maybe. I'm going to double check you on that one. But yeah, keep saying yeah. what you had to say about Roberto. But just, he was like an all-time baseball player. Just, he just, I mean, he had five, all five tools. There's some great highlights of him from back in the day where he was able to throw guys out, like basically from the wall, like on a fly to like second or third base, incredible power, ended on exactly 3,000 hits, which is one of the weirdest caveats of, I think, his entire career. Yeah. 
and just also the irony of him being this incredible humanitarian and passing away on his plane ride. I think he was going to help Nicaragua with help with earthquake relief. But yes, he's just he's just one of those guys that kind of makes baseball baseball. It's hard to tell the story of the game without mentioning Roberto Clemente being the talent he was, the person he was, the impacts had in the game. And it's really wonderful that we have this award for him year after year that every single team gets a nominee for Roberto Clemente. And it's Lindor this year, and I think he embodies what Roberto Clemente meant to embody really well. Yeah, Clemente, two-time World Series winner, uh, 1960 World Series against the Yankees, and then 1971, he was the MVP against the Orioles. Only twice he's been in the World Series. He won them both times. Uh, yeah, just an incredible player. Shout out to also friend of the podcast, Danny Torres. He does like an entire Roberto Clemente podcast where he interviews players and talks to them about the impact that Roberto Clemente had on them, on the game. He's had guys, I think, like David Wright, Curtis Granderson, maybe even Francisco Lindor, Carlos Beltran on. So if you guys are interested in that, you should definitely go check it out. Um, really good stuff over there. Just, again, one of the best players to ever do it, just all around, on and off the field. And I, I got a feeling 21 is going to be retired across the league at some point. Also funny, that's a multiple of 42. That is, yeah, half yeah. of 42. Yeah, right, kind of weird. But yeah, Never, oh, I'll put those together. I, yeah, if that if that were to happen, I'd be supportive of it. I think that'd be really cool. And then getting onto the field this game for the Mets, something really interesting when the lineups dropped, Ronnie Mauricio. Got his first major league start at third base, a position he didn't even play very much in the minor leagues. And we know the Mets have had a lot of third base prospects come through the last few years, namely Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos. But Mauricio looked like a pretty natural fit over there. He looked very comfortable at the hot corner. We know he has the arm to support that position and looked looked like kind of a good thing. He had the one awkward play. I don't remember if it was in the fourth or the fifth inning where they eventually got a run because of it, but he kind of backed up. He got in between. He was caught in between of whether you should charge it or take a step back and wait for the ball to come to him. Got caught in between, ended up like clanking off the top of his wrist. And again, that's going to be from not playing the position, even though like, yes, he's played shortstop. He's played second base. Third base is such a drastically different position than either of those. The ball gets on you so much quicker. It's why they call it the hot corner. It's not necessarily because it's like the hottest place to play. It's because the ball gets on you quickly. Uh, he'll he'll adjust. He looks pretty solid. And he's for sure got the arm. We saw him make some really, really nice throws. Cannon of an arm. And as long as that bat's in the lineup, that's really all I care about. I don't care how he plays in the field at all. I mean, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, don't care how he plays in the field. It'd be nice to have a you know, plus on both sides of the ball. Sure, sure. Totally. But we'll get to Mauricio's offense a little bit. I want to talk a lot about David Peterson's start Friday night, too, before we get deeper into the series, because I think it was probably one of the most interesting things that happened on the field for the Mets this series, because this weird David Peterson reality we're living in just continues to persist, but also continues to astound, just to have, you know, be a little, be a little philosophical there for a second. His final line, which is obscure, but still becoming just very David Peterson, five and two thirds, six hits. Three runs, two earned, but the one earned run was on his own wild pitch. I think it's like one of those situations where, shout out Richard uh, Hernandez, Twitter follower, that happened today in the game. And it happened, so weird happened twice this weekend where yeah. there was a, a, wild, a wild pitch or a pass ball that wound up like a run be scored. But yeah, that's not an earned run for the pitcher, but almost like kind of like the pitcher makes an error. Sometimes maybe it should be, but it's just too hard to have these caveats in baseball scoring. But then Peterson also two walks and in the five and two thirds innings, 10 strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, like my dad, when we were leaving the game, because I was there on Friday with them, and he was like, how many how many strikeouts did Peterson have? I'm like, I don't know, six? He's like, ten. I was like, ten? When did that happen? Like, it was the, he does it every, it's so sneaky. And maybe because we had higher expectations for him coming into the season, and he kind of scuffled a little bit at the beginning of the year, starting to a pitch lot. well towards the end. Yeah, scuffled starting to pitch well towards the end. But is this just kind of what we saw last year that got us excited and we just have a new perspective on it? Or is there something different going on with David Peterson, you think? I think there's something very different happening with David Peterson. We talked a lot in the beginning of the season how the slider was the pitch last year that was the chase pitch. And then this year, it, they kind of tried to make it his primary pitch. And it was more of like a tight 
cutting slider, almost similar to a cutter, but a little more had a little more slide on it, and it wasn't coming in as hard. So that wasn't a thing. But we've seen over the last few months, David Peterson has reworked that slide. I've been mentioning to you guys that it has much less horizontal movement and much more vertical movement as coming through. And it like that's it's also coming in a little bit slower than it was last year. And this was the best result he's gotten in the slider in any start I've ever seen him. And I just say that because the Reds swung at it eight times, and they swung and missed on it all eight times. They didn't make contact with one pitch. They didn't even hit a foul ball on the pitch. He threw 13 of them total, and they swung and missed on eight times. The other was out of the strike zone. I think there might have been one or two call strikes in there as well. But the important thing here is that David Peterson is turning the slider into a pitch that rather than playing off his fastball, something we heard him talk about a lot last year, still does a little bit because his fastball, while it doesn't have like the, the crazy backspin, the rising effect that some of the best fastballs in the league have, it still has similar to that, even without being like the level of effectiveness of some of the best ones in the league like that. But his sinker especially is the pitch that has come back to him a lot more. And he's been throwing some curveballs too. And where that slider is right now, it has a spin axis very similar to his curveball, but it's dropping about 15, 12 inches less and coming in about eight miles an hour harder. And the pitch that's being in the zone a little bit more and the hitters are still swinging and missing at it. And if you, I compare it to a slider from last year, and the spin is much more similar now to the curveball that he throws than the slider he threw last year. And I think all that's coming together to create a pitch that, again, probably while the old slider was a good pitch objectively, you kind of need to create good pitches among the repertoire you have because your pitch is only as good as the other pitches it plays off of. Like you can have the best yeah. fastball in the league, but that's the only thing you have. It's only going to take you so far. Exactly. So the fact that this slider kind of fits in a little more snugly in his repertoire and creates a little bit of deception between the fastball, his curveball, and his sinker, especially as much as he's throwing the fastball and the sinker and mixing and matching those two as much, because as we've known with David Peterson these last couple of years, neither of those pitches have ever taken the step to become elite. So when those pitches aren't elite, you kind of have to mix and match and use them in their own roles and their own situations whenever you can find them and then focus on that location. So seeing him get this new slider and seeing how effective it's been in the small sample, seeing, being able, again, this is all like this is all box score reading. This is using baseball yeah. savant, Brooks baseball. This even could be like a pitch tracking issue with baseball savant. This might just be all curveballs now, and it's just like there's a little bit of a gradient because they're less consistent. But based on what I've seen compared to the slider last year, you can see the adjustment happening. You can see the changes in movement per month. You can see the change in spin axis when you go from last year to this year. Like that is something that I think is real, is important, and you saw it be helping be really, really effective Friday night. The first few innings, the Reds couldn't really touch him. They only really started to get around on him in the fifth and sixth. Nick Senzel gut punch third time, home run third time through. There was a bit of a gut punch, but still overall a good start. Yeah, I mean he did a really good job. Kept the Mets in this game. Also helps with Pete Alonso hitting his forty fifth home run of the year. Absolutely smoked it. A little bat flip in there as well. Always love to see that from Pete. DJ Stewart. Doing the thing that kind of just getting used to it with him now, making nice catches in the field, made a good catch in uh, game three as well on Sunday. DJ Stewart just keeps doing his thing. Someone hit a foul ball. So, we, where me and my parents were sitting, we were kind of near the friends and family section of the Reds over at, you know, where I'm talking about, right? Like down the mm -hmm. third baseline. Yeah. And the ball got hit from DJ Stewart's bat into the friends and family section. What just happened in the Jets game? I see a reaction. Zach just scrambled for 12, trying to get the field goal range, 30 seconds left in the half. Good podcasting. Go Jets. Go Jets. Uh, even though I'm a Commanders fan. But got hit into the friends and family section. All the Reds players are like 28, 29, 30 years old. So they all have their wives there with like infant babies. And they're all screaming because a baseball is coming to them as they're holding their baby. And like, luckily, nobody got hurt. Didn't hit anybody. But there was like a lot of shrieking and like, Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. And there was a guy who I think even listens to the podcast, like a, an older man in his 50s, 60s, who was like so screaming because someone got the ball. He's like, Oh my God. I love DJ Stewart. 
one of the guys in the family section gave it to him and he was like losing his mind as if like he won the lottery. Like, I got a foul ball from DJ Stewart. Like DJ's uh he's living on as a little bit of a cult little hero here in Mets world. He is, he's a local legend and he just keeps playing well. And this game did get the win got taken out of sales at the end here. Jonathan India hit a late home run to give the Reds the win. Jonathan India a little homecoming, as we mentioned in Thursday's episode. Also, Zach, Zach! Another 20 yard run for Zach Wilson. Okay. 20 yards, okay. like 30 seconds Good. left. One time out. Come on, go, go, go. Also, just knows your dad went and you guys two days in a row to City Field. Yeah, we went a couple days in a row because uh, awesome. my my parents they're just they I don't think they're gonna be able to make it to any other games the rest of the year. Mm. So they wanted to make sure that they could come out to at least one more, and they were hoping to see a win. They didn't. They did not. But they had a good time. Also, bumped into a, a good friend of ours, Sammy. Saw him at the game. I oh, was hey. going to get the buffalo chicken sandwich donut thing, which is just still. So incredible. If you guys haven't gotten it, it's on the third base side market behind home plate. Like literally go up the uh, Robinson Rotunda, go left. You'll go to the first market thing in there. They got a glazed donut with a buffalo chicken sandwich in the middle. It's absolutely delicious. was getting one of those checked out. And I'm like, wow, that guy's got a Deion Sanders, like old school Reds jersey. That's so awesome. And I was like, oh my God, I know who that guy is. That's Sammy. I I know that walk from anywhere. So I saw him (laughs) from back, smacked him on the back. I was like, hey, what's up? And ended up hanging out with him for the last two innings. Also, speaking of Ellie De La Cruz, because again, in the ballpark for this one, he might be one of the most popular players in baseball right now. I know he's not playing particularly well, but he didn't play in this game, but he's kind of popped out of the dugout in the like seventh, eighth, and ninth inning and was standing up on the ledge by, uh, you know, where the fence would be. And there were swarms, swarms of people, at least 100 people in the section screaming nonstop, Ellie, Ellie. He was turning around, smiling, taking pictures, giving finger guns to people. He's a very cool guy. I was shocked to see how popular he was, though. I thought that was more of just, like, the diehard baseball fans. But he had, like, eight, ten-year-old kids, like, losing their mind that Ellie De La Cruz was standing there. So it's pretty cool to see. That is super cool. And Ellie has become just this larger-than-life figure. Just being a 21-year-old, like, 6'6", the dreadlocks, the crazy speeds, home to first. And you did mention the fact he hasn't been playing well. He didn't really do much right home about this series. I even think he only played two of the games, correct? Yeah, he didn't play on Friday night. He is, though, as he's not getting... bad Zach Wilson oh my god he is while he's not getting really like the results that you want to see like the home runs have dried up a little bit even the singles have dried up a little bit the batting average has gone down he's doing so many of the underlying things so much better than he was doing when he was at his hottest and that when you could see a player doing that he's going through the struggles on the surface but everything underneath actually getting better his strikeout rates dropping his walk rates increasing like crazy his chase rates dropping he is he is a, a monster in waiting. Like there is absolutely no ceiling to what he can do as a baseball player in his career. He's looking great at shortstop defensively. People were a little concerned with that originally too. Based on OAA, he has he's one of the top in the league. He's only played two thirds of the season, and his arm, as everyone knows, is can. ridiculous. He can throw the ball ninety six miles an hour from short to first. He's he has everything you'd ever want, including the personality, including the bravado. He has some leadership qualities. It seems like, and it's really cool to see like a polarizing star like that, young in his career, have people from all fandoms come out and be like, I want to see this guy play. It has it had a little bit of that feel based on what you're describing is like when Shohei was in town where it's just like, I want to see Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah. I mean, especially like Cincinnati, tiny, tiny market. So for him to have that pull really cool to see, but that was it for game one. Mets just lost that one. Uh, nothing you really do about it. Game two, another tough loss. I mean, the Mets like we're, we're hitting the ball well in this one, but they just could not get them to land really. No, it couldn't. Nimmo had three hearted balls, nothing to show for it. They just kind of, it's just one of the games they're finding gloves. And it's just kind of frustrating. This was Andrew Abbott, a pitcher who we talked about in the preview on Thursday, who started off really hot, but has really been kind of tailing off a little bit. And they got to him. They were finding his fastball. 
And then you guys got taken out, and then the Reds bullpen really did a good job to keep the Mets down the whole game and just kind of find a way to score enough to beat them. And a lot of that was McGill just having another McGill game where he just like gritted his teeth and got as many outs as he could, but just he wasn't really you know missing that many bats. His fastball velocity was back up though. That was cool. That was his big uh, whiff pitch in this one. He also threw sixty four percent of the time because it didn't seem like he had much going with those any of those off speeds or breaking balls. The slather was meh, and he also threw just kind of the same amount of changeups and curveballs he threw that slather, but. Nothing really that much in this game besides just the Mets just, they just kind of lost. Regular game, they lost. Yeah, I mean, we got to see two whole Alvarez, which is good because he hit the ball hard, got a couple hits. I think had an RBI or two in this one as well. Mauricio up in the five hole. Seems like the Mets are kind of getting a little creative with the lineup, which is nice to see. I mean, I want to see these guys swing the bat a little bit more, and it's good to see them starting to move guys around a little bit in spots that eventually maybe one day we could see them in a little bit more regularly. I know Alvarez, it seems like it's going to be one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off with him pretty much, so... Towards the end of the year, probably continue to expect that, but glad to see him swinging the bat better, swung it well in game three as well. Uh, just like little things here and there, but they're going to lose. They're going to lose games. Like it's going to happen. Big college football day too. I mean, I, yeah. South, I was locked into South Carolina, Georgia. I thought, I thought we were going to do it. I really thought we were going to upset them. It looked so good in the first half. Buckeyes covered. Buckeyes had a great day. Also, this is happening during the wedding. As I said, the couple is just addic- both Buckeyes, both addicted to sports. And there was like one TV in the place that had the game on. And this is just how psycho Ohio State fans are. Even in the first half, I think by the end of it, it was like 42 to 10. And there was like 20 of us just glued to the screen. We we're just like, I want, I want to see some plays. And also, I do want to share because this was the day of the wedding. One more story about my friend and his uh, wife that okay. kind of it, it comes back to baseball. Erica, our family, huge Cleveland sports fans. They formerly Indians, now the Tough. Guardians. They love them. And Ross has kind of bounced around his baseball fandom. As I'll say that nicely in his life. Wow. Okay. He grew up loving Derek Jeter, and then Ugh. his he has family from Chicago. He claims and liked the Cubs for a little while, and now he has you know Dave on the Pirates, so he root to the Pirates. But yeah, Ty Ty made a lot of comments in his uh, best man speech about all the teams that Ross liked growing up, and it was really yeah, it really seems to bounce oh, around a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, the guy you know, not even picking winners necessarily. I, Kind of winners, he, but the Cubs, he really timed the Cubs thing really well. Oh, like, he liked okay. like five years, and he, he got the best five years. But every time he was talking about the fans, like all of us on the groom section were just like screaming, like cackling, laughing. So I'm like, <laughs> some dog barks at him. But so Ross and Erica started dating when we were in college, and it was right around the time that the then Indians were playing the Cubs in the World Series. That's a contentious Midwest World Series for two teams who had, at the time, the two longest, I believe, <laughs> World Series droughts in all of baseball. Yes. And when that... They just started dating, like really started dating. And I remember <laughs> when, the, when the Cleveland lost the series, Erica, who's so sweet, she's so nice, so shy, just like a wonderful woman all around. You'd never expect this, but she's a crazy sports fan, crazy competitive. We were watching in a bar, and she reared back and cracked the wall. <laughs> I'm happy he's not I'm happy he's listening to the show because he would not mind me telling the story, but I know I'm safe from all the Ohio people, unless maybe some of the Cincinnati guys listen to this episode. It might get back to them, but... Her hand hurt, and she went the next day. She busted her hand after they lost the World Series. And I go to Ross, and I'm like, I think it's a keeper, dude. <laughs> That's a good one. But She's willing to punch a wall over baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her dad mentioned that in his speech, too. It was really, really, really funny. But, yeah, it was, it was good stuff. And, again, just the couples that love sports, man. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's good, good for them. Congratulations to the happy couple. I'm, I'm glad for yeah. them. <laughs> now we got to move on to game three, Sunday's game, a matinee. Going on during football Sunday, as as Zach Wilson is really trying to storm the Jets back against the Cowboys. Commanders, Commanders, not looking that good either. Yeah, they're um they're bad. I think that's just kind of Ron Rivera is not a good coach. So <laughs> just counting the days down to Eric Bieniemy can just take over the team. Yeah, but something else cool happened when the lineups dropped in Sunday's game. 
We had two home Mauricio now. Yes. Two home Mauricio back playing second Ronnie. base. Yeah. Two whole Ronnie after a couple games at third, back at second with Vientos in the lineup playing third. And it's just, it's crazy how quickly this all happened with Ronnie Mauricio from spending most of the year in the minor leagues to hitting the 117.8 mile and now we're double his first game or first at bat. And then now it's like, whoa, this guy's guy one of the best hitters in the lineup. Yeah. I mean, he's just a good ball player. I think they're like, again, whenever we talked about Ronnie, there was never a doubt that we thought he was going to be able to hit. It was just going to be like the consistency factor for him because of the low walk rates, because of the chase, because of whatever it was. But the more and more we watch this guy play, I think you just understand he's just kind of a dog. I think that's just kind of what it is. He's that and, dude. And he's a ball player. And we've said it a few times. It did feel a little bit like that um, That hit tool is just underrated. Like, yeah. Talk about something like back control, barrel control especially. He gets his swing around the ball. His wrists are so quick moving through the zone. So like fast. He always gets like the meaty part of the bat on the ball, and that's like the best thing you can do when you're going you're trying to do some damage. And his hard hit rate finally fell below 50% over this Ooh. weekend. It's sitting around like 43 right now after Sunday's game, but two more hits on Sunday out of that two-hole, another RBI. Like this is a lot of things that are going well for Ryan Mauricio. Probably a lot better than even most of us in our wildest dreams could have expected. Especially the only concern with him really is that chase rate. And the fact yeah. that he's, the ball has been on the ground a lot, and that is keeping the barrel rate down. This is still no kind of sample size to judge a barrel rate. He's only put, I think, 37, 38 balls in play. Won't get to, probably get to about a real sample size for that as we get through this season. But it's just, there's so many things. There's so many things. And it's just that chase rate. And we have seen some guys, I'm going to talk about a guy in the Reds in a second, like Noel V. Marte. They're kind of being built in this ilk where chasing is kind of i know it's kind of the opposite there but it's the opposite of that like as long as you're not chasing like you're gonna do everything you can to do like to be on the to be on the field and be a productive member of the lineup and he's still walking a little bit more than his chase rate would indicate right now he's chasing almost 40 percent of the time which is very 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 high number noelvi or ronnie ronnie okay i'm sorry i want to talk about noelvi because i think he had a good series i think he's a ball player that's also a little underrated yes, he save him no i'm saying i'm saving him but it's like it's kind of similar to ronnie where we who talk about baseball, analyze baseball, watch a lot of baseball, play fantasy sports, like some people with cards, like you kind of get this prospect. Um, what? What's I got a on? huge spider. I got to kill it. I got a big spider. Keep talking. It's a, it's a hectic episode for the boys here. But you kind of get this prospect fatigue with guys. When you've heard about them for a while, as Mark tries to kill the spider off camera, he got it. Thumbs up on Mark. Kill the got spider. It. But like you hear about a guy like Ronnie Mauricio since he was 17 years old. You hear about a guy like Noel V. Marte who yep. popped off in, I think it was the FCL for the first time or the DSL for the first time. When again, he was like 17 years old. And then these guys are on these prospect lists forever and people want like the instant satisfaction. They want the gratification. They want the guy like Ellie De La Cruz who goes from an unknown prospect to one of the most electric players in baseball in 18 months. But not everyone's like that. How many times do we say prospect development is not linear? It's not linear in any support. We're watching football right now. It's a lot of guys who, you know, it happens, yeah. it happens randomly. Like it just kind of does. Look at freaking like Tyler Algier. He's he's, a, he's weirdly a good running back, even though he's behind B. John Robinson. And Arthur Smith keeps giving him the ball. But I digress. Besides the point, you guys don't want you guys don't care about the fantasy teams. But that's I kind of feel like that happened with Ronnie, where he's still only 22 years old. He still has peak physical tools. Baseball Savant still lists his weight at 166. It's just simply not that weight. <laughs> but that even could show you that's how my long weight. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's stupid. That's but insane. That even, I can show you guys like how long he's had profiles on these websites, much longer than a lot of players have. And like they got to update this stuff sometimes, but there's just so many things to like. He does so many cool things every single day you watch. They play two different infield positions pretty well. He's hitting the ball really hard, harder than most guys in baseball. A lot of good stuff from Ryan Mauricio. Yeah, it's funny that you compare him and Noel V. Marte because I think they also, I'm going to look up real quick, but like they're both guys that I have a bunch of cards on because I've just like been a fan of theirs ever since they've really become like prospects that you know of. But they're from like Bowman, like 2019, which we're talking like four or five years ago now. And that prospect fatigue is super, super real, super like you just 
a guy that exists in the minors for so long, even a guy like Royce Lewis, who didn't even have, well, actually, I guess he did have as much time. He was a number one overall pick, so even more hype around him. And you've seen him come up with Minnesota, and he's just he just might be like a really, really good player. Like, the dude absolutely mashes. Another player in the series you noticed that with was Hunter Green, who pitched really well against the Mets on yeah. Friday night, a guy who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which we talked As about. A high Thursday. schooler. Yes, and then the prospect fatigue happened with injuries, some ineffectiveness, but like sometimes it just takes guys a little while. Like we look at some of the best pitchers in baseball over the last few years. And we talk about how they got to the spots they got to. Like guy like Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, like those guys were they were top of the draft, top of the class. Those are kind of can't miss type of guys. But even Cole took a minute to like it took no, him to like Houston sure. get to that next level. Yeah, and then you look at a guy like Max Scherzer, who was in the league for what, like six years before he really got to that next level? Yeah. Like after the Arizona, his last two years in Detroit. He's a look, at a guy like, look at a guy like Jacob deGrom, who was no kind of prospect. I know he's fallen off, but one of the best pitchers the last five years, Shane Bieber, no kind of prospect. Look how, look how quickly he got became good. I know we're just talking about pitchers now, not as much hitters, but it's just, it kind of takes a little bit sometimes. It does, it's not, again, it's not like I'm going to be the show. It's not like one point to average, two, no. point, two, two points for power every year, and then you eventually get really good. Like, it happens. And I wanted to talk about Noel V. Martex. I do think he had a really good series. He is a guy who I think has been weirdly used to be overrated. Now he's gone to be underrated. He put on a lot of weight and he's become a real, real powerful young man. Yeah, it really got those shoulders tight up there, tight. But he had a lot of hits Work in this house. series, a lot of big hits too. A lot of good situational hits from him. He had a, he had a really nice first inning RBI against Quintana in the game on Sunday where I was just like, you got to put the pitch in play. And it was like, it made something good happen with it. And he's hitting the ball really hard. He's not striking out very much. He's walking about league average. He's chasing better than league average. And the Reds, I feel like, are having a lot of these guys come up with the same prospect archetype where they have a really good sense of the strike zone and they're able to really get to their power when they make contact on pitches. And then if you swing and miss, that's okay. As long as the pitcher whiffing at you're taking a real hack in the zone. And I think that's kind of a cool thing of player development for them. Yeah, Christian Encarnacion Strand. You kind of gave him the jinx before this one because I was like, ooh, I like him. You're like, yeah, we didn't really play that much. He struggled a little bit. I think he had two home runs in this series. Yeah. He, uh, he's another guy who's got like impressive power, like really, really strong. The opposite of a Noel V. Marte in that, like, he got drafted, came up real quick. Yeah. He necessarily didn't have as much hype, but was able to build that hype through the minor leagues. It, prospects are so, so weird. I mean, even some guys on the Mets, like Alvarez came here playing incredibly well. He struggled a little bit recently, but, like, had a great series today. Mark Vientos, a guy who we had seen in the minor leagues for a very long time. The success hasn't necessarily shown up at the major league level yet, but he is still relatively young. And we saw one of his overall better games of the season in Game 3 on Sunday. Yeah, I think he was, what, three for four with uh, a, with an RBI and just, like, overall good at bats. Stuff that is encouraging to see from someone who maybe hasn't been on top of his game all year. Yeah, and we want to talk about the offense in this game because they Mets did put up eight runs, had a really nice win. Alvarez had an RBI double. Vientos, you mentioned, three hits. All were put in play over 100 miles an hour off the bat. Also an RBI mixed in there. Vogie had a bases clearing double to break this game open. Really nice to see this lineup be able to turn itself over and, like, tack on runs and like without the home run because it's kind of ironic the Mets have had a lot of home runs this year especially relative to a lot of that's Pete Alonso but especially relative to some teams in the league especially relative to the team last year like they've put the ball out a little bit so nice to see a game where almost every single starter in the lineup except for hilariously DJ Stewart and Pete Alonso had a base hit <laughs> yeah no go figure the two of the better hitters in this lineup right now but we take it Mets get a win there and of course Jose Quintana let's talk about him real quick because I'm going to say, I mean, we're only going to have like a couple more episodes where we can say it, but man, oh man, where would we be with this guy if we had him in April? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we do next year, like knock on wood for the a nice strong off season for Quintana, but six innings, two earned runs just keeps being like such a steady force. You're right. 3.02 on the year and about four of the innings now. So this is kind of a decent sample size on it, but guess not a great sample size of ERA. There were a lot of ERA debates on Twitter this week because a lot of the Cy Young race, the national league is becoming incredibly yeah. contentious. And with, 
Another not so good start for Justin Steele. Really good start for Blake Snell. More good starts from Kodai Sanga. Logan Webb storming up, storming up the rear right now. Late. It's it's like nine guys who can win this award. Mike Petriello wrote a really good article about that on MLB. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Uh, recurring guest over the weekend, but. Is a lot of people debating, you know, between the wars on different sites and how special ERA is. There's a lot of people who believe that like ERA should be the be all and the end all for the Cy Young kinds of because it's always been. There's a lot of other people who really think ERA is actually like a useless stat because it's really Whoa. just it's really just team context. You're just taking like innings and runs and you're dividing it. it's like an accounting measure and it's really just more about situations, defense, like a lot of things that really out of the pitcher's control are helping ERA. I think it's kind of cool to read this stuff. You guys check out on Twitter, like Nick Pollock's been talking a lot about from Pitcher List, Eno Saris, um, Tom Tango, who's like one of the fathers Tom Tango? of Tango. That's a yeah, name. one of the fathers of modern sabermetrics. Tom Tango, he's, he's a beast. He's, you guys, <laughs> if, you guys, if you guys are just in baseball sabermetrics, you follow Tom Tango and read some of this stuff. He's a <laughs> that's, legend. It's like a, you put your name, like your first name and your last name in like the Wu Tang generator, and they're like, Tom Tango <laughs> is what came out. I know, honestly, maybe, like maybe it's a fake name. Like maybe it's just like his, maybe it's just a pseudonym for, for his like analytic personality. Maybe he's just like Tom Jones out and out in the world. <laughs> Found out over the weekend, like, and again, this is just me being stupid. Alicia Keys is not Alicia Keys. Like, of course not. What? Yeah, not, her name's not Keys. No way I'm looking this up. <laughs> no, I, I, I got so deep in her Wikipedia on um, Wednesday night, I, I guarantee it. Alicia Cook. Yep. Wow, it's a it's another really normal last name. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess Alicia. Oh, because she played the piano keys. Of course, she's great with the wow. piano prodigy. Young young piano prodigy, Alicia Keys. And Alicia well, Keys is voice of an angel. As good of a stage name as you could ever find. If anyone out there ever listens to like the NPR Tiny Desk concerts, she probably is the best one of all time. It's you'll be be transcended. Incredible talent. Also married to Swiss Beats. Yes, imagine the music they can create in that family. And also New York City kid, Alicia Keys, born Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hell's Kitchen. That's an yeah, interesting place to grow up. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but back to baseball. Um, Only a couple things to wrap this game up in this series in general. Jeff Brigham has not been good since he came no. back up. So, hey, I had this for a couple. That one month, guys, April. Wow. Was Ryan I on with Jeff Brigham? Man, was that fun. And something else interesting that happened this game was it was the ninth time this year where the Mets did not throw a pitch over 95 miles an hour. Huh. Yeah. And, they, and there were seven other times they threw one single pitch over 95 in a game. Huh. It's a frustrating thing. Yeah, it's a frustrating yeah. thing, and I feel like that's probably going to be a point of emphasis this offseason, I have to guess. Definitely, without a doubt. I mean, get, get some arms in there that got a little little juice behind it. I'm sure they were also, you know, really relying on a, a one particularly big yeah. arm to be in there throwing a little bit harder, Edwin Diaz, and also the guy that me and you, I'll still never forget that night at Jack Dempsey's in Midtown, where we were just like, we were having one of our late-night uh, rendezvous drinking at Jack Dempsey's, and going through the Mets roster, I'm like, Man, I th- really think Bryce Montestoka could be that guy. <laughs> like, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Well, um, Mr. Bednar, we're talking a lot about Edwin Diaz and like the, like how to make a good reliever. Because thinking of you guys have seen David Bednar probably on TV. He's not. He's not. Doesn't really have the body shape like an elite pitcher no. like Edwin Diaz. Dave Bednar is probably yeah, he'd be a great fullback. He was. I think he was a high school linebacker. Almost positive in it. Makes sense. But um, yeah, just like talking about like how like results wise over the last two years, these are two of the best relievers in baseball. And that they're completely different. Even like comparing the class A, because I got a class A is a two seamer. Dave has the four seamer. Like Diaz has a slider. It's just it's funny to make a reliever and like to hear a dad who was a high school baseball coach and like has his kids are both professionals just be able to like talk about this stuff. It was a really good conversation. He he also took my number. He said, Hey, I'm in New York next year. We're hanging out. We had, yes. we had a great we had a great time together. I'm like, Mr. Bednar, I promise we will. <laughs> deal it. <laughs> yeah, Don't deal. ask me twice. Hundred <laughs> percent deal. Oh, Zach. Oh my God. Oh my God. But that's wrapped up the series. Mets lost two out of three from a Reds team that is on the doorstep of the playoffs. And play Devil's Advocate. If we're going to lose two out of three of any of these series the rest of the year, I'd prefer it to be this one because I want it's this America's Reds team. team. I want this Reds team in the playoffs. They deserve it. Yeah, they're America's team. I'm rooting for the Reds 
good friend Sammy. Hope hope he gets to see them in the playoffs. If they play, if they play a home game, or if they're in the playoffs and playing, I'm going. I'm going to see some Reds games. They're gonna be fun. Yeah, sure. I'm into. I'm doing this uh, podcast. My buddy Reed's girlfriend's apartment. He's also a big Reds fan. So shout out Reed on the other shout side of the wall, watch, watching Red Zone. He can he can come to the game with us. Yeah, he's in totally in. He'd, he'd love he'd love to. Now to bring in Mr. John Barron for the estimate. We haven't done an estimate in a minute. John's been a little busy. We've been uh, kind of all over the place with our travel schedules as well. John, what's going on? Rocking the Indiana hat, proud today. Yeah, I'm just, I'm reminding James because it has been a while. Did um did Indiana win on Saturday? I saw they played yeah, Louisville. It's a winnable game. Lost the heartbreaker. Lost the yeah, heartbreaker. heartbreaker huh? Play at the goal line. Fourth down. Stand by Louisville. It'll happen. Covered. Covered. Second time they've done that. Actually, they've covered all three games. <laughs> oh, they're three against the spread this year. There you go. As a matter of fact. So, but um. Yeah, James, you're still going to have your time in the sun with the water. It's the opposite Don't worry. <laughs> Next time we see you, it'll be night. That's going to suck. Yeah. Next Thursday. No, it'll be all right. I think I'm going to do the jersey and the water at the same time. So Thursday, September 28th. Two birds with one stone. Yeah. I like oh, that. Wait, do the Jets play that night? Is that the Jets Thursday night? Oh, I think it might be. No, the Giants play Thursday night this week. Oh, oh that's the next? No, no, no. It's, it's the next, next week, week. Two weeks. No, I think the Jets, the Jets Broncos the Thursday night game, which I think is the week after. I'm just going to look yeah. it up for you real quick. I know the Jets play the Patriots next. Uh, You're next fine. Month, they got the Chiefs Sunday. October yeah. 1st. Oh, oh God. Oh, <laughs> that's no. gonna, that's oh. bad. Thank oh, gosh no. for Indiana football. Thank God oh. for Indiana football is right. <laughs> that's enough Indiana football talk. By the way, I, I joined you guys late. I don't know if you said this. Mets starters last uh, 12 games, 2-1-4 ERA. Starting rotation wow. nice. has been lights out for the Mets. So uh, something you like to see. Anyway, Mets Marlins coming up next. It's been a while. Uh, Marlins are in the thick of it, right? John's Marlins. John's Marlins. John's fish. I mean, yeah. So for anyone that is confused, earlier before the year started, I told these guys, I liked what Miami did in the offseason. Everyone laughed at me, called me crazy. So, you know, whatever. Um. <laughs> um, can I, I'll give you guys a question right now. Can you guess the date, the last time the Mets played the Marlins? It was in April. Yeah, Just tell be. me April it, what? The, yeah, the Mets April 20th, 420. It was April 9th. Yeah, it was the Mets. The Mets opened at home again against oh, them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I was wearing a tuxedo. Yeah, they I played their first four in Miami, and then I drinks Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's right. You did. Yep. Oh, yeah, John. John wasn't this. here for the last one. Yeah. <laughs> James said next time we will uh, play the Marlins. Aaron Rodgers will have ten touchdowns. That's right. You absolutely brought Rodgers up. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> bad. Pretty awful. Well, anyway, I'm sitting here watching them right now. So no spoilers. I'm on Fubo, a little bit behind. Oh. So yeah, Fubo. Anyway, so Mets Marlins, Luisa Rise, one hit shy of 200. Dude that obviously puts the ball in play a lot, doesn't swing and miss a lot. Did I say no. 200 or 100? Let me start that over. You said 200. You said 200. Okay. Said 200. Right. We're on. A guy that doesn't swing and miss much at all. So for the estimate here, I want you guys to tell me how many times does Mets pitching get Luisa Rise to swing and miss? That's going to be a tough one. He he he's also he doesn't walk, so he doesn't see a lot of pitches. He's also, also three home runs his last ten at bats over the weekend, which is crazy. He does this. He did that. In, wow, Luis Ryan's only twenty six. Yeah, dude. I like I great listen. Trade. Great trade on both sides. Both sides. Yeah. trade. Twins won the trade, but it's a good trade. Probably. Man, Luis Ryan swings and misses. Wow. Against the Mets, he has in this not series. swung and missed much this year. That's what I'm saying. He's I faced mean, 2,100 pitches and he's swung and missed eight percent of the time. That's insane. So you kind of just gotta f- try and figure out how many pitches you think he's gonna see. Yeah, kind of. All right, and he's gonna, gonna uh, he's gonna see Kodai, who's the Mets' best whiff artist. Yeah, 
Let me go to this. I got to write down some numbers. I don't have a, I don't know where my whiteboard's at. This is great podcasting yet again. No, I mean, I don't have a whiteboard. Either, so we're yelling out. But before we do it, this. I'll give you guys the Mets pitching matchups this series against the Marlins. Monday. These are all 640 start times as well. So everyone be ready for 640 start times. You think it's 710, you're going to miss the first inning and a half. But Monday night, Jose Budo, the ascendant Jose Budo against Braxton Garrett. Tuesday, 640, Joey Lucchese against Yuri Perez. That's the guy who I think we're going to be highlighting as we get through this episode. And then Wednesday, 640, FS1, Kodai Sanga versus the uh, the uh, the ageless Johnny Cueto. <laughs> Johnny Cueto. Can't believe he's still kicking around. All right. I got my answer. You got yours, James? Yes, I do. Okay. John, count us down. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Four. Five. Wow. Okay. Nice. I want. I Beautiful. had four. I ran the numbers. I saw. I thought forty-five pitches, eight percent, three point six. Fours round up five because Kodai Sang is pitching. Nice. I also I have a two-game lead and there's four series left. So a win here would guarantee me a tie. Dormy, you'd be dormy if you get a win here. Mark, are mm-hmm. the are the are the commies winning tonight? No, no, absolutely not. No, no. They're, they're bad. Ron Rivera is a bad coach. The commies never win this country, John. Yeah, don't you know that? Fair Come enough, on. guys. <laughs> All right. I'll see you guys later, James. Looking forward to our uh, next encounter. Yeah, we're going to pour balls of smart weather on my head. It's going to be great. <laughs> Thanks, John. We'll catch you at the stadium. Bye, guys. Bye, John. All right. To wrap this one up here, like you said, we haven't seen the Marlins in a minute, and it is a little bit different than we thought they were going to look like when we were going to Kind of. Dif- different and the same. No, well, we thought that the roster was going to be different because they were going to be getting rid of people. Instead, their roster is different because they've added people. They've added Jake Berger who's been, I think, pretty good with them. Yep. Uh, He just hits the ball hard. We've talked about him before. Just a a hard-hit barrel guy. That's pretty much all he does. We've also added Josh Bell, who we know is a bit of a Met killer, uh, and he's been playing a lot better in Miami than he was in Cleveland this year. Yeah, I mean, hey, sometimes get out of Ohio. Things things wind up well for you. And they've also called up super prospect Yuri Perez, who the Mets are going to see in the series. And Yuri Perez, I'm not going to use any of these terms lightly, is probably – the most exciting pitching prospect, especially when you consider age to level and stuff that we've seen since. I hate bringing this up, but he I is know who the it comp. is. Jose Fernandez. Yep. He yeah. genuinely is. And it's, it's, there's a little bit of irony. It's probably a little bit of poetic justice that's happening in Miami again. But Yuri Perez, 28 years old, at six foot eight. It's it's ridiculous right now. He has a three ERA. He's striking out 30% of the batters he's facing while only walking 8% of them. His fastball is electric. His slider has a 50, 47% whiff rate. His curveball is a 55% whiff rate. His changeup has a 46% whiff rate. The guy is absolutely, completely unhittable. And he is, again, 20 years old doing this right now in the major league level. No, he's extremely talented. One of those few guys you always like to say pitching prospects are fake. This guy's yeah, he, not. not him. Not him. He's not the only him. he's the only real pitching prospect. Again, we've like that been like this. This kind of like this phenom type thing in about a decade since Jose. hundred percent. He's extremely talented. Uh, Mets fans, again, you should be glued to the TV for that one. Worth watching Yuri Perez just go out there and throw. Someone we're going to see for a very very long time, probably on the Marlins. Also, a little homecoming. Well, not a homecoming. He's not coming home just yet. But David Robertson. Coming back to play the Mets, uh, he's been doing his best Jason Vargas impression with the with the Phillies and the Marlins, where he is pitching just about as bad as he possibly can. That's not great. Yeah, he looks looks not so great right now. And also, someone who has looked great after being on the shelf with injury for a while, Jazz Chisholm, has had yeah. a crazy two weeks over here, and he's coming in. Actually, also remember this also could tell you how long it's been since we saw them. Remember when Jazz Chisholm was like incapable of playing center field in April when he oh, only yeah. played there like nine games? Well, now well, he's, he's good awesome at it. now. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an amazing center fielder now. Which like, <laughs> what? When did that? How did that happen? How do you just get better at center field having never played it? 
team's really solid. We also we got to miss the whole Luis Arise 400 drama because it's not even gonna yeah. be close to that anymore. Like he's pulled the nose up a little bit, and he actually might lead the league in batting after a couple, like a pretty bad six weeks for but he's holding off Freddie Freeman kind of well. And you mentioned Jake Berger. Jake Berger, we've heard also great things from a lot of trusted league sources that he's just a heck of a clubhouse guy. People love him in the locker room. He just kind of looks like a fun dude, you know. He's got like the body type of someone who have good sense of humor. He hits the ball really hard. It just seems like a vibe. Um, Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz have not had great second halves, but I'm sure they're going to kill the Mets because they always do. John Birdie is going to get on the field and do something awful to us. There's no doubt about it. Joey Wendell. Yeah. Ugh, God, this team. And we're missing Jesus Cesardo and Edward Cabrera this series, who have been pretty electric for this team overall. Edward Cabrera just came back from rotation last week and had a really nice start. Lazardo, another one of John's guys, had a very good season. I think it's probably not as good as he could have been. There's still a lot more you can do. People will see the 3-8 ERA and scoff at that, be like, oh, you think it's a good season, 3-8 ERA? But he's got down the walks, he gets a lot of strikeouts. It's the first time he's had a full, complete, healthy season, which is a really yep. good step in the right direction for a guy who's was a super prospect and had like a lot of ups and downs the last few years. That's kind of what we're talking about. Kind of themed this whole episode, you know? At 25 years old, he finally has his first like, really good season. It happens like that. Yeah, and I mean, these are massive, massive games for the Marlins. Right now, at the time of recording, Sunday, 6 o'clock, Miami is technically in the playoffs. They're tied for that last wild card spot with the Arizona Diamondbacks at a 78 and 72 record. Diamondbacks have a game tonight against the Cubs. That's going to be huge for them as well because they're half a game behind the Cubs. So these are teams that need to win these games. The Marlins, you're going to see quick hooks. You're going to see guys yeah. being moved around. You're going to be seeing them playing this game like it's a playoff game. And I'd love nothing more than to knock the Marlins out of the playoffs. It would be just be chef's kiss. It would be amazing. Yeah, just for John too. I don't really want to see that. I don't really want oh, to see, him, see it went over on us. No, I can't. I can't let him think he was right. His, I, I don't think he was right in what he said, but he's right in the execution, unfortunately. And that's just it's kind of how John rolls a little bit for us. I mean, yeah, broken clocks are always going to be right twice a day. Yeah, just one of those times. But hopefully, we can make sure that uh, John can't be right. And if there's any Mets people out there, get that win for us so John can be wrong. We know you'll appreciate that too. <laughs> Otherwise, we got anything else to talk about here? Wrap it up. I think we're good. Let's wrap it up here, guys. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Make sure you follow us on all our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel so you can see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We do appreciate all you guys hanging out and listening with us through the end of the season. James, what's your Twitter? Names underscore Shiano. And me, Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching. We'll catch you after the Marlins series. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.